Well, thank you, Monica. I appreciate that. And good morning, New City. It's good to be with you all. And so, as Ben said, I was here about four or five weeks ago, uh, something like that. And it's good good to be back. I always appreciate coming out here and, um, yeah, getting to spend some time with you this morning. And so, Today, we're going to be looking at a text from Romans chapter 8. We're only looking at two verses this morning, so that means we'll probably get out of here pretty early. Said no preacher ever, right? Um, So two verses this morning, Romans uh, chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Let me uh, read the text for us this morning, and then we'll we'll pray and get started. It says, Romans chapter 8, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Let's pray. Father, this morning we come to your word. Help us to understand it. Would the spirit illuminate and bring to clarity uh, the truth of this text? And Father, as we consider what that might mean for, for us being in Christ and all of the benefits that we have Uh, in Christ, that Jesus earned on our behalf and that are appropriated and given to us in Christ. Father, help us to understand very practically what that means. What that that means very much practically for, for how we think about change and transformation in our life specifically. Father, would you teach us this morning and instruct us through your word? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so, New City, I want to begin by posing this question for us to consider is, what are the area or areas of your life that you so desperately want to see change? What are those areas of your life that you just so desperately want to see change? What comes to mind as you think through this question? Perhaps for some of us here this morning, we might have a hard time telling people no, And so when we're asked to do something or we're given a specific request, whether at work or, uh, you know, by a family member, we just have the hardest time telling others no because we're so worried and concerned about how someone might perceive us. They might be, they might feel disappointed in us. They, they might uh, view us differently that we just, we can't tell others no. And so we say yes and yet we just wind up in, in trouble. We, we wind up just operating outside the confines of our limits, and that just brings stress and frustration. So maybe you might have a hard time telling others no. For, for others of us here this morning, perhaps you operate and go through life with this double standard. You have these two standards for how you relate to people. You have this standard for yourself, but then you have this standard for others, your spouse, your kids, your family members. And you, I mean, you know how this goes. And if you have any questions, ask me because I'm really good at this. Uh, it's just like you, you are so, it's so, so much more likely for you to extend compassion and grace and patience with yourself. But then you have that other standard that you hold others to the high, a higher standard than to which you hold yourself. And so you become pretty impatient and frustrated, easily, more easily frustrated with others than yourself? What are those areas of your life that you want to see change? 
what comes to mind. Because, uh, you know, you know the, the context and the culture, the, the world in which we live in, it doesn't, make, it doesn't make it any easier for us to answer this question, to think through this process of, well, how do we change? Because there's so much out there in, in just the culture, the water that we swim in, talking about just being a good person, right? Just be a good person. And I think so much of that, that verbiage, right, what that means is that when, when people get to the end of their life, they want to be able to look back and see that all the good that they did, all the good that they contributed to this world far outweighs the bad, the things that they wish they would have done differently, the regrets, the harm that they may have caused others. And so when we're asking this question of like, how do we change? What areas do we so desperately want to see change happen in? The culture in which we're in, it's constantly telling us to, to, to think through about how do we be this good person? This is what we call morality. Morality. It's just thinking through like, how, how do I end up just living? How do I live as a good person? The thing about morality too that is just so difficult is that the solution to change, if you, uh, when we're talking about morality, the solution to bring about change is solely relying on yourself. It's solely relying on uh, just drumming, enough, drumming up enough courage and strength within yourself on your own to bring about change that you so desperately want to see. The thing about morality is that it says that the, the starting point for change is looking within and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. And so here's the thing, though, is that, is that it's my, my fear and even just my observation that so often uh, that, that morality, the, the culture and the worldview of morality that, that exists outside the church has also made its way inside the church. And so, that so often, so many of us are confused with, like, how does change even happen in the Christian life? That we are constantly looking to ourselves and looking to within ourselves to try to pull ourselves up out of, uh, out of whatever muck we might find ourselves in to produce change. And yet, if we look in, or when we look within, and I don't think I have to convince too many of you here this morning, is that when we look within ourselves, our inner life is an absolute mess. It is an absolute, like we, you and I are just these walking contradictions. There's, there's so much turmoil and war that is kind of going on uh, within our, our inner life, in our hearts, that makes it just so impossible. If our inner life is just a mess, how are we supposed to look within for change? How are we supposed to look within for the resources to bring about the change that we want to see? The Apostle Paul, in the chapter right before Romans 8, in, 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 verse, uh, in chapter 7, verse 15, he says this, and let me know if you identify with this at all, for he says, uh, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want but I do the very thing that I hate. Verse 18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep doing. 
Do you hear the tension and the struggle with which Paul is, is, is just explaining the dilemma of the human heart? For he says, for the, the evil that I don't want to do is the evil that I end up doing. The good that I want to do, I, I can't figure out how to do it. And so there's just this, this inner dilemma, this war that is raging inside all of us. We're walking contradictions. Our inner life is a complete mess. And so this morning, as we consider this text with what, what Romans 8, the, the resources that Romans 8 points us to, as we consider this, it's, it's my hope, first of all, that, uh, that if you are here and you are not a Christian, it is my hope and prayer that you would hear me out, that you would consider as I explain with, with what Christianity says about how to change. It's my hope that you would hear me out in, in terms of, of what Christianity says about how people change. And if you're here this morning and you are a Christian, if you are here and you're a Christian so desperately wanting to see change in your life, you might be sitting here just frustrated with patterns that you just keep falling back into time and time again. You might be feeling defeated. You might be feeling hopeless. You might be feeling discouraged. If that is you, it's my hope this morning that you would be reminded, that we would be reminded together that the source and the power for us to change, it doesn't come from belief within yourself. It doesn't come from belief in yourself, trying to figure it out all on your own, but it comes from belief in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And see, the thing about Christianity is that that when you become a Christian, you actually are given, gifted, a new identity. You're given a new identity. And, and the, the Bible uses this phrase. When it talks about uh, Christians, it doesn't use, it doesn't use that, that language of, of Christians. It, it, when, as the Bible talks about being a Christian, the primary way that it, that it talks about that is it says that you are in Christ, that you are in Christ. And in verse 1, we see that it says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. It uses this phrase, the primary way that the Bible talks about Christians is it says that you are in Christ. There's a, a quote here on the screen from John Calvin that I'll turn your attention to. It says, uh, first, we must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from him, that all that he has suffered and done, like his, his benefits for, our, for the salvation of the human race, it remains useless and of no value to us. For as I have said, all that he possesses is nothing to us until we grow into one body with him. It is true that we obtain this by faith. What Calvin here is saying is that as so long as Christ remains outside of, outside of us, all of his benefits, all of his work that he has accomplished for us on our behalf, it remains useless to us, for it has no value to us if we are not united with Christ, for if we are not in Christ. It's this new identity that we are given that is ours through faith through faith and trust in Christ. And so this morning, I want us to talk about this because Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, they talk about some of these benefits that are given to us 
in Christ. These benefits that are given to us that we don't deserve, that we didn't earn, that are given to us in Christ through faith. And so what does this mean for us to be in Christ? And how, how, does, how does even this make a difference for as we think about change? And so this morning, we're going to consider two things, these two benefits for what it means for us to be in Christ. Uh, so to be in Christ first means that we are free from the penalty of sin. And secondly, it means that we are free from the power of sin. So free from the penalty and the power of sin. So let's look at first free, freedom from the penalty of sin. This is what verse 1 means. When it uses this language of of condemnation, condemnation is this legal term that means that you are guilty. That if you are condemned, it means that you are guilty. And you're sitting here and you might be wondering, well, well, who who is guilty? Why, Why would anyone ever be guilty? And remember, as I was just talking about uh, just a few moments ago, when I said that our inner life, the, the life that's going on inside our human heart, it is, it is utterly a mess. It is utterly a mess. I mean, as, as Paul just said in Romans 7, that there's so often that the things that we shouldn't be doing are the things that we do, and the things that we should do are the things that we don't do. This is how the Bible talks about sin. This is the language that that it uses to talk about sin. Sin is doing the things that we shouldn't be doing, but also uh, not doing the things that we should be doing. What God commands, what God asks of us. And so, since God is holy, and since we are sinners... God cannot be in relationship, a holy God, with a sinful people that, that without Christ in our life, you and I stand guilty. We stand condemned. We stand uh, liable to being punished. I mean, this is what, what, why so often Jesus would talk about hell in the sense of just eternal separation from God is that punishment for sin without Christ in our life, it's this condemnation. It is this eternal separation from God. And yet, if you and I have faith in Christ, we are free from sin's penalty. We are free from that condemnation. For it says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Kind of think of it this way. is that Imagine that you have this financial debt, this financial obligation that you must pay that is just so insurmountable. It is a dollar amount that there is nothing that you could ever do to work to pay it off. There is no amount of, of time spent saving penny after penny that you could ever save to collect to pay this debt off. Imagine a debt just so great like that. And you don't know what else to do, so you kind of show up at a bank and you're asking like, well, can can anyone help me here? Is there any loan? Is there anything that I can do to kind of work towards getting myself out of that debt? And imagine you're sitting at this table with the owner of the bank and you're explaining to the owner the situation that you're in And the owner thinks about it, and the owner responds by saying, you know what? I am going to pay for your debt. 
I can and I am able to pay fully for your debt. This debt isn't my debt. This is the debt that you incurred. And yet I am going to pay for it. Can you imagine receiving news like that? I mean, I, mean, I, I would be like, this is like, like, are you kidding me? Is this a joke? Like, am I being like pranked right now? Like, this would be too good to be true. But then part of me would be like, if, if that is indeed true, like I, I would just, I would well up with, I would be so excited. I'd be so thankful. I'd be so grateful for what this person is doing in paying off my debt. Friends, this is the work of what, what Jesus did for us. Paying our debt, a debt that we incurred, the sin that we have done. And Jesus paying that debt for us. And you can imagine that sitting there at that table with this bank owner, that, that this good news just doesn't stop there because the owner continues by saying, and you know what, I'm, I'm not only going to pay off all of the financial debt that you've incurred, what I'm going to do is all of the wealth, all of the assets of the bank, I'm going to give to you. And so, under your name isn't this ledger of debt. It's this ledger of wealth. All of the wealth of the bank is now yours. And friends, I think this is a a picture of what the gospel does, of, of the benefits of Christ's work for us, of being free from the penalty of sin, of our debts being canceled. But not only that, that all of the wealth and blessing and benefits of Christ are given to us through faith. That we are free from sin's penalty. I mean, to think about, think about, Think about this. To receive news such like this, it completely changes the attitude of our hearts. I mean, I mean, think about what this does to you as, as you're so desperately longing and, and wanting uh, to figure out what, what change looks like in your area of, of life. I mean, imagine receiving this news. It just would, it, I mean, we would probably run up and, and give the, the bank owner just this giant hug and celebration in thankfulness, in, in gratitude. This sort of news causes us to just leap up out of our seat with gratitude, with thankfulness. And so the resources of Christianity, as we're posing this question, well, how do I change? I feel so stuck. I feel so defeated. Christianity says that the resources for change, it first begins with changing our hearts, changing the attitude of our hearts, causing us to to think through life and change from this lens of, of gratitude of, of thankfulness, that this is the foundation when we talk about how do we change, that we have to begin with a new heart, a heart full of gratitude, a heart full of, of hope. This is where change begins. And so not, not only does it mean for us that we are free from the penalty of sin, that there's no more condemnation for those that are in Christ. Secondly, our second point, it also means that, that to be in Christ, that the benefit also includes that we are free from the power of sin. 
We are free from the power of sin. Here's what I mean by that. It's not enough for me just to, to if I'm preaching from this text, to just to sit up here and, and to say that, that you are free from sin's penalty because we also need to know, as verse 2 talks about, we need to know that you and I, if we are in Christ, we are delivered from the bondage, from the mastery of sin through the power of the indwelling spirit. What verse 2 very plainly is saying is that you and I, through the power of the Holy Spirit, have the ability to say no to sin and yes to Jesus. We have that power. We have that ability. And it's it's not a power and ability that comes from just looking at ourselves, but rather the Spirit of God Uh, living and dwelling and residing inside of us. And so as we think about change, if you've been around the church and you've probably heard of this this word of of sanctification, if you haven't heard that word, that's totally okay. But in the church, we use this word called sanctification. And all that sanctification means is that it's this process in which you and I are changed to be more like Christ. Christ. To be sanctified is, to put it simply, to be more Christ-like. And even in our, our, the confessional standards that we have of our denomination, just the, the document kind of laying out what, what our denomination believes about various topics, about God, about Scripture, about man, it says this on sanctification. It says that sanctification is the work of God's free grace whereby you are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. So that was a sort of long definition of what sanctification is, but it is this work of God's free grace where we are renewed in the whole man, meaning that, that God is the author of our sanctification. God is in charge of our sanctification, of our growth in Christ, and that you and I are invited to be responsible participants in this process of change. And that God, through his uh, indwelling spirit, is going to renew us from the inside out more and more. It's going to renew our thoughts, is going to renew our hearts, is going to renew our actions, so that more and more you and I look like Christ. So that you and I more and more have Christ-like speech, Christ-like action, actions, Christ-like thoughts. And I love what the the confession says about sanctification is that we're enabled by the power of the Spirit more and more to die to sin and to live unto righteousness. That the resources for change don't come from us believing in ourselves, don't come from us uh, believing that we have what it takes to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps to be a good person. The resources from change come from Christ who dwells within us by the power of his Holy Spirit. That's what this text is saying. That's what this text is saying as we think through just these benefits and these blessings that are ours in Christ. In the early 16th century, uh, the artist, sculptor, painter Michelangelo was hired to sculpt the statue of David. Many of us have seen photos of the statue of David, but it's, it's 
It's like this world masterpiece. It's one of the best sculptures in all of the world. And Michelangelo in the early 16th century was hired to sculpt the statue of David. And, and the, the stone of the, the massive slab that, that Michelangelo had to work from, it actually, uh, Michelangelo was the, not the first or second, but he was the third sculptor that was approached to sculpt the statue of David. And the first two that, actually, that, that said no, they had examined, as the story goes, they had examined this, this slab of, of stone. And by their estimation, this slab of stone contained too many impurities. It, it contained too many imperfections. And so these two sculptors wanted nothing to do with this work, with this project. And yet, as, as we know, Michelangelo took that slab of stone and carved this masterpiece, something utterly beautiful, something that would, that would just catch the eyes of, of onlookers who would come and visit the statue or just to, to marvel at this craftsmanship, at this masterpiece. And that is, is a picture of what's going on with sanctification for us, is that you and I Our lives, our inner lives, are just completely a mess. They are a wreck. We contain so much impurity, so many just desires and wants that are just so misdirected and so not God-honoring that God takes us and through the power of his spirit, and as we, as we say no to sin and yes to Jesus, he works in us and through us to carve and to transform something beautiful. Something beautiful put on display, not for our own glory, but for the glory of God and for the good of our neighbor. And Michelangelo, in, in, in that statue of David, what, uh, something that people don't often notice is that uh, David is on his left shoulder carrying a slingshot. And it's something that's, that's, that's small that Michelangelo intentionally designed this way because he didn't want to bring attention to the slingshot. Michelangelo, according to his view on the story of David and Goliath, uh, believed that it was because of David's wit, because of David's ability to be cunning, because of David's ability to to be strong that brought him victory. And yet, as we see the story of David and Goliath in the scriptures in the book of Genesis, it wasn't because of David's strength. It wasn't because of David's ability. It wasn't because of David's, like his, his intellect. It was God who brought the victory for his people. It was God who brought the victory for his people, defeating the Philistines. And God used, and I mean, God used David, this small shepherd boy, not with, um, that wasn't armed with a shield and a spear or a sword. What was he armed with? This small slingshot and smooth stones from the river. And God used something very small to bring about a great victory, to bring about to bring about just change and transformation in the story of his people. And friends, I want us to know as we're thinking about change, as we're thinking about uh, how to change, what that requires, I want us to know that your everyday ordinary faithfulness in the hands of an extraordinary God can bring about 
change and transformation. That our, our ability to be faithful with the smallest things, whether we're taking big steps of faith or little steps of faith and wanting to change in these areas of our life, big or small, in the hands of an um, almighty and extraordinary God, watch what he can do. Watch how God can take something so small and multiply it for his glory. Watch how God can take our, our little steps of faith when we say no to sin and yes to Jesus. When we make those conscious efforts to say no to sin, to flee temptation and say yes to Jesus in this moment, I want to be faithful. I want to, to honor you. Even in those moments, watch what God can do. Your, your ordinary steps of faithfulness in the hands of an extraordinary God, how he can bring about change in these areas that you just feel so discouraged, in these areas that you just feel so defeated, in these areas of your life that you just feel so hopeless. And so the application for us this morning is, this, is, is just that. If you are feeling discouraged or defeated, you so badly want to see change, look at what ordinary, everyday step of faithfulness you can take to honor the Lord and see what he does. I think so often we have this expectation and this even view of, of change and transformation being just something like kind of larger than life, that being uh, just this big, radical, dramatic change. And so much of the Bible talks about just this ordinary, everyday faithfulness. That kind of putting, putting one rock in the pile is just, you know, this is the step of faithfulness. And putting one rock in a pile, at the end of the week, it may not look like a very big pile. But if you continue to do that day after day after a year, you're going to get something big. If you continue to do that year after year, can you imagine what that would look like? And so much as we think about just change and transformation in the Christian life, I just, I, I want to encourage us all not to overlook the small stuff, not to overlook just these small, meaningful opportunities that you have every day with the people in your home and uh, with your neighbor to take just this small, ordinary step of, of faithfulness and to see what the Lord does, see how the Lord uses and honors that faithfulness. So again, what areas of your life do you so desperately want to see change? You know, unlike morality, which tells us to look within ourselves completely and wholly for the ability to change, Christianity, it points us to the person and work of Jesus, which completely changes everything. When you see that Jesus took it upon himself to pay for your sin, the penalty for your sin, it completely changes your attitude. When you, see, when you say, thank you, Jesus, for what you did for me. I'm so undeserving. I had so much debt, and yet you paid it for me. I think so often we, we hear that truth time and time again if we've been in the church for any length of of. Of, of years, and, and so often we can, we can lose our excitement with that truth. We can lose our, uh, our we can kind of grow numb to that, that the truth of the gospel because we've heard it time and time again. But this is, this is when change 
starts to begin. This is when change happens, when we, when we continue to think through and, and see how Jesus paid a, a debt that wasn't his to pay, but he did it for us. It causes us to be a, a generous people. It causes us to, to think through differently what standards we have for ourselves and what standards we have for our neighbor. It causes us to, to have the courage to say, you know, I don't know how this person's going to respond, but I'm going to tell this person no, because if I told them yes, I would definitely be operating outside my limitations. And I want to live and be healthy, so I'm going to say no, even though I'm afraid of, of of their reaction, how they might respond. And when we also begin to see that, that in Christ, that we have the ability to say no to sin and yes to Jesus, it, it just dramatically changes the way we think about this ordinary, everyday faithfulness. That no matter how big, no, no matter how small, God can and is able to use those steps to bring about change in your character, in your life, they're ultimately put on display for the glory of God and the good of your neighbor. Let's pray.